Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed part one of the amazing interview with Matt Doherty. And for those of you that listened to part one, the next 13 minutes will be a recap of the end of part one and the intro. So just feel free to skip ahead to the 13 minute mark of the podcast to begin part two with this incredible interview with Matt Doherty, former North Carolina head coach right here in the Sports Deli. For those of you that did not listen to part one, feel free to listen to the next 13 minutes where we will chronicle the introduction of Coach Doherty as well as the tail end of part one. For Dr. J, I'm Hootie Hoot. Enjoy part two of the interview with Coach Doherty right here in the Sports Deli. Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli. The Sports Deli is sponsored by SportRx. SportRx is the leader in sports prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. We also want to give props to PSK Collective. Be inspired in PSK where their clothing promotes inclusivity, empowerment, and equality by supporting female athletes through the Women's Sports Foundation. You can find them online at pskcollective.com or at walmart.com. We also want to thank citylokes.com, where you can get your own personalized hats and phone cases, tees, accessories, and much, much more. I ordered two hats, and they're amazing. Uh, One of them says the Sports Deli, and it has a California license plate, and the other one has a Michigan license plate and says, Speak Up and Dribble, Black Lives Matter. So check them out at citylokes.com, and don't forget to enter the code THESPORTSDELI at checkout for your special 10% discount. And we're so excited to finally be supporting Moolah Kicks. They're dropping in May of 2021. They are the first female-only brand basketball shoe, and you can find them online at Moolah, Moolah's M-O-O-L-A-H, kicks, like shoes, K-I-C-K-S, plural, moolahkicks.com. Again, much thanks to Natty White, the founder of Moolah Kicks. You can always send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. And you can also DM us on Instagram at Mike Hootner or on Twitter at Michael Hootner. A little bit about Hootie Hoot. I coached college basketball for 23 years, 15 on the men's side and 8 on the women. And I now coach at a low-income first-generation high school girls basketball here in San Diego. I played four years of college basketball. I'm a life coach. I have a beautiful daughter. I'm a professional basketball skills trainer. We love to share space with our guests here in the Sports Deli to talk about the intersection between race and sports, mental health and sports, equality, empowerment, empathy, leadership, education, sports, and solutions. We talk a lot about white privilege. We want to help mobilize, listen, learn, and pay it forward. Remember, your voice matters when fighting systemic racism. Read a book, acknowledge your white privilege, watch a movie about institutional racism, call your local or state representatives, and or have a conversation with someone that doesn't look like you. We have to change the economic, educational, police, housing, prison, and voting 
suppression narratives that currently need to be changed in this country. And the only way to do that is to listen and learn and then help be a part of the mobilization and change that we want to see. We're so honored that you're joining us today. And we hope that you can grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage. And let's do this together in the sports deli. We are so honored to share space today with Matt Doherty, who hails to us from Long Island's East Meadow, New York. He played for the legendary North Carolina coach Dean Smith and won a national championship in 1982, defeating the Georgetown Hoyas only a year after losing to Bobby Knight's Indiana Hoosiers in the 81 championship game on a jumper by a young Michael Jordan. And they did so in front of 63,000 fans some 39 years ago, the first ever Final Four in a domed stadium. He not only played alongside MJ, but big game James Worthy, Sam Perkins, Kenny Smith, and Brad Doherty. During his four years at North Carolina, he was a part of 117 wins and only 21 losses. He played in the 80 McDonald's All-American game, which included current Sixers coach Doc Rivers. That same year, his Holy Trinity High School team won the Class A New York State High School Boys Championship, and he shares a birthday with Kurt Rambis, Joaquin Noah, and arguably the greatest pro wrestler of all time, Ric Flair. He began his coaching career with an AAU team before being an assistant at Davidson, where John will share his story and ask his question later about a former teammate of ours. And then at Kansas, before becoming a head coach at Notre Dame, of course, in North Carolina, FAU and SMU. He worked as a bond salesman for three years, but hated it. He's been a color analyst and an associate commissioner of the A-10. He worked for the Indiana Pacers as a college scout, and he's currently a part of his DLP. I just made that up. I don't know if that's what he calls it. The Doherty Leadership Practice. He does some executive coaching, speaks to corporations about leadership, and has a couple of weekly radio gigs in Charlotte. He also freely admits to missing coaching, referring to coaching as his drug, And doesn't rule out coaching again, saying, if we can have a 78-year-old president, I think I could be a head coach again at 58. Doherty's book, Rebound, From Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned, goes in-depth about what he learned from his stormy three-year tenure as UNC's basketball coach. It can be found at rebound-book.com, where you can use PayPal or Venmo to pay for the book, and the cost includes shipping. Him and his wife, Kelly, have two children. You can find them online on Instagram at MF Doherty. Doherty is D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. Or on Twitter at Doherty Matt, where he has over 11,000 followers. Or at letsengage.com backslash talent backslash Matt slash Doherty. We are so honored that you're joining us, Coach. Thanks for uh, coming and getting that karma in the sports deli. Yeah, no, I I love karma. Uh, Ideally on rye. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, I, I love delis, man. I grew up in Long Island. Uh, yeah. you know, I mean, Boar's Head, uh, I mean, you get the, 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 the heroes, uh, you know, nothing like a New York deli. There nothing like a New York deli. It's not like that in Detroit, but I, I grew up in Detroit. That's where I spent my first 18 years. And we, we had our version of Coney Island and I would get a, I'd get loose fries and a loose burger you know, with the chili on top of the burger and the, the chili fries. And man, it, it was, there was nothing like it during lunchtime. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. You look skinny. How'd you stay so skinny? <laughs> Genetics, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to touch on uh, MJ. Um, you know, Matt has said uh, in the past 
that uh, MJ was obviously very cocky. You know, most of us saw The Last Dance, or a lot of us did anyway, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, that talked about the Bulls and Michael Jordan. And obviously Matt had firsthand knowledge about Michael, you know, being around him all the time and uh, seeing how competitive he was. Uh, he was always trash-talking and, and teasing, um, whether it was about hair and or clothes. You know, everything was competitive. But he was also really kind, Matt said. He had amazing parents. Um... Obviously, it was very unfortunate what happened to his father. Uh, he had a, an older brother that was uh, also a very good player, shorter, but a very good player that he learned a lot from. Um, uh, and MJ once wrote Matt's mom a, a handwritten letter. Uh, such a kind gesture. Um, but, you know, Matt said that it, it really wasn't rocket science. You know, he said that um, Michael was just a great person. Uh, he wrote the foreword to his book uh, that we talked about earlier and that we'll talk about a little bit later as well. But good kids come from good parents. And Michael's parents were great parents, he said. Uh, he remembered one time when um, there was an Ezekiel festival in Wilmington and uh, Michael's family let him stay there with him. Um, you know, and obviously he was super competitive all the time in practice. You know, we've heard the legendary stories about him being competitive, whether it's gambling or, you know, just about anything. Um, you'll hear a story later about uh, Michael and, and, and Coach Doherty golfing together. Um, but he told a story where Michael would point to someone in the locker room before practice at North Carolina. And that basically meant that they were going to get dunked on that day. You know, so there's just a lot of a lot of neat stories um, that he had about about Mike, which uh, you know everyone's always interested in. Um, and I'm sure he learned a lot about you know leadership from from Mike as well. Um, and if somebody did uh, have a good day against uh, MJ, that they better not show him up because obviously he could take things to to a whole nother level. Uh, but he said one of the things that he didn't realize when uh, Mike came in as a freshman was how unbelievably athletic he was. He said he was able to do things that he had never seen before. Uh, his ability to hang in the air and uh, to spin the ball in so many different ways was just remarkable, not to mention his defense. Uh, he said he was just a, an, an incredible defender even back then. Um, and... Uh, Fast forward to, you know, when Coach Doherty was the head coach at North Carolina and, and uh, you know, resigned uh, or was, you know, sort of forced out or let go. Uh, he said he got a long voicemail from MJ, and he was really pissed. Uh, he thought, you know, he could have stayed on and turned turn the ship around, but, you know, obviously it wasn't in the cards. And um, uh, one of the other things that uh, – uh, Coach Doherty mentioned was because there was a little bit of turmoil, a little bit of tension um, between the uh, you know Carolina faithful and and maybe the coaching family. And he said Roy Williams did a really nice thing. Now, when Matt came back in 2018 for the dedication of the Roy Williams Court, um, he said he did something he didn't have to do. 
And in the coach's locker room, they have a coach's locker room in North Carolina. Uh, he put pictures on the wall of all the coaches, right? Just a coach's locker room, you know, just for the coaches to go to and either change if they're going to go work out or, you know, just a separate locker room from the main locker room, just for the coaches. And he just thought it was such a nice gesture for him to put, you know, Frank McGuire and then Dean Smith, obviously, and Bill Guthridge and, and himself, Matt, you know, Doherty had his picture on the wall. And obviously now Roy Williams and, and um, Hubert Davis will be on, on that wall as well. But he just said that it made him feel so good um, because he said it was really hard for him to, you know, come back to be the head coach of North Carolina and, you know, in a lot of ways be a disappointment. Um, and to now come back sort of full circle and, and, and um, be in the good graces of that Carolina family, so to speak, in that coaching fraternity, you know, in North Carolina circles, in the brotherhood, uh, was really special to Matt. Again, we hope you enjoyed part one of the interview with Coach Matt Doherty, and we're so honored that you're joining us again today for part two of this incredible two-part series with Coach Doherty right here in the Sports Deli, and we will begin part two with John Asking a question about new head coach at North Carolina, Hubert Davis. Talk about how you think, you know, Hubert Davis is coming in, um, hasn't been a head coach before. And, you know, how do you think it will be different than your experience? And you had coached at Notre Dame. You were the head coach at Notre Dame when you came on. But talk about how the experience you think will be different for coming in. Will it be like uh, yeah. Juwan Howard? I think that the experience will be, um, I think that the thing with Hubert, a couple of things, Steve Kerr didn't have any head coaching experience. True. Um, Nash doesn't have any head coaching experience. Hubert's been around the game his whole life, played at the highest level, sat by Roy Williams for nine years, um, he's good with people. And the only thing's different is, you know, he gets to decide how to run practice, how to organize, you know, how to, how to have the style of play and, you know, make adjustments and call timeouts. He's a smart guy. He's going to, he's going to, he probably already has, if he, if he's like me, you know, I wasn't a head coach. My first head coaching job was Notre Dame, and we won 22 games, I think. Right. My second year, I'm the head coach at North Carolina. We we get ranked number one in the country. We go on an 18-game winning streak. Anybody that is preparing to be a leader, you don't prepare the day you get the job. You prepare on your journey. And so you have your own notebooks. You have your own thoughts you have your own concepts your own ideas and now he's going to get to implement them the foundation will be carolina basketball but there's going to be little tweaks that are Hubert davis and i think that's a good thing because you don't want to try to be somebody you're not interesting and, and you, in your book you talk about the decision to go to unc when you're in notre dame and it wasn't a given and, no. you, and, and, and in regards to you felt a little bit, you know, I think you said Michael Jordan called you and others because there was a concern if you didn't take it, it would go outside the family because right. of, because of, 
Fogler was somewhere else. Roy Williams was a, you know, some did, you know, was Roy Williams turned it time. down. Right. George Carl couldn't get out of his contract and right. Larry Brown, um, you know, uh, for whatever reason. Um, and Eddie Fogler was, I think, happy at South Carolina and, and, and was only going to coach to his 50. And, right. and so, um, yeah, I thought long and hard about it because I love Notre Dame. I love the fit. Um, my concern was bringing my assistants with me. I, I wanted to take care of them. People don't realize that I got this job July 11th. Okay. Just think about that. Now, what goes on in July? Oh, the, all Recruiting. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Hubert's getting it, you know, April, early April, he, he gets time to, and he's been there as an assistant. He gets time to get his staff in place, you know, get to know the players, which he already knows. It's a huge advantage. Taking over July 11th, looking back, that was crazy. And, and, and looking back, I probably should have stayed at Notre Dame. You know, maybe I'd be in line to be the head coach at North Carolina now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you, you, you know, you, you, you live and learn and you move on and you learn from the mistakes you make. Right. So uh, you sort of started the next uh, segue into the question I wanted to ask. And I don't want to oversimplify anything that we talk about that has to do with some of the you know, things that have been going on since last summer. Um, and, you know, I woke up this morning and I was curious to see who the East Tennessee state coach was because it, it sort of went um, under the radar. And so I read the article um, about coach Oliver and I instantly got really upset at, at what I read because um, you know, the whole kneeling thing, obviously, depending on who you are is a, is a very hot topic. And so I don't, you know, maybe you do, but John and I don't know what really happened with Coach Shea and why he was uh, either forced out or he decided to quit. Um, and so it said as his quote that he's not necessarily going to talk about kneeling right now, uh, that he wants them to be better communicators. And Ooh, so the new coach, the new, the new coach. coach. Yeah. And I, and I told John and Gordon, I was like, I can't even believe that there was any hesitation in him saying, if they want to kneel, they can kneel, you know, and there was an incident at Bluefield state, same kind of thing. Uh, the president went to the, we're a private institution card and they're not only saying don't kneel, but they're suspended for kneeling. And so um, I wanted to tie that into leadership because if you take over a program uh, sooner rather than later, uh, John's talked about this a lot. And sorry to be so long-winded, but I'm trying to tie it in from sort of a cultural perspective on how you would handle parents asking these types of questions that may, maybe weren't asked in the past and, and players asking these types of questions. You know, maybe it wasn't discussed before, but now it's a, it's a whole different mindset in terms of players coming to college campuses. So, you know, how do you, how do you approach this whole thing if, if you're a, a head coach, you know, in a power five or even a mid-major? Well, I think the first thing is you better be aligned with your chancellor and your athletic director. Bottom line, that's got to be communicated. You know, yeah. what is our thoughts on this? What are the unintended consequences? And then I would mem memorialize what's discussed in an email. Okay. I'd follow up and say, okay, just to follow up and get clarity. 
um, we, we met about kneeling and you said that, you know, it was said that it would be okay if our team knelt. Um, <laughs> because there's a, he said, she said now with, with yeah. coach Shea, right? Yeah. So you got to CYA, you better cover your butt. Yeah. And, and because when there's pressure on the administration, a lot of them are very weak. They like their jobs. So they're going to yeah. defer to the boosters, to the people, board of, board of trustees, and they're going to, you know, not have your back. And so you better align with them, have serious, crucial conversations, and then document it. And so then you make your decision. You give them your recommendation, but at the end of the day, you're working for them. It's not your school. It's, 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 it's bigger than that. And you may believe in kneeling, but if they say don't kneel, then you better communicate that with your team and the team can decide, okay, we're going to, we're going to kneel. We're going to boycott or we'll stay in the locker room, but you got to come to some consensus. And the best way to do that is get everybody involved and talk to the players and explain to them why you believe what you believe and hear that from them. Why you know, why they believe what they believe and maybe come to some compromise. So I think that's the, you can't just say, Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's got to be vetted. It's got to be communicated. Um, otherwise you're going to have issues. And in all fairness, that's what John shared with me this morning. He's like, we all have somebody to answer to, uh, you know, and I guess from a personal standpoint, uh, I've heard, um, Kyle Corver and JJ Reddick be very outspoken white voices uh, about this topic and, and even going to the point where they feel complicit as white men um, because of a lot of the stories and the racial reckoning that's been going on. And I guess that's sort of where I'm in alignment with them. And I know John is too, but he also works uh, as a VP at a, at a college. And so he understands that maybe better than I do about you know having to answer to somebody. But, you know, I, I just think I get frustrated with, you know, the fact that there's not more collective white voices, whether it's a Tom Brady or, you know, more white coaches, you know, Mac Brown has been very outspoken um, backing the players. So I guess it's more along those lines. But like you said, if that's what they had a discussion about, I'm just surprised that more players aren't transferring and that there's not more because if that happened at any other major university, I think it would be a headline news. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course it would be. Um, you know, and I, I, I went, I went, I went from one extreme to the other. I was a stand-up, hand on your heart, um, American flag, and I, I listened. You know, I listened to Colin Kaepernick. I don't respect a lot of things Kaepernick has done since. I don't agree with a lot of things, but he he talked to a military veteran and got advice to kneel down. Right. And and the idea that that flag has given us the freedom of speech and he was trying to make a point and he risked his career in right. doing that. I respect that. And so I, I would have allowed my players to kneel if they wanted to kneel and I probably would have knelt with them, but that doesn't mean I don't respect the flag. I, I respect the military. I carry around a challenge coin from, the military 
I try to thank every military person I meet for serving our country and giving us the freedom to question. And, and I think that's what makes our country the best country in the world. So it's interesting. Well, John, let me finish with this point, then you can follow up. And, and the fact that you said that Colin listened to a military person and maybe gave him validation. It's the same thing that I get frustrated about, about the arrogance of white America, that African-Americans in the black and brown community are sharing their stories, their fears, uh, their frustrations. And other people who are not in the black and brown community are trying to tell them how they should act or what's appropriate. When they're telling you from LeBron James to Doc Rivers, who you played in the McDonald's All-American game with, they're telling you what they're scared of for their kids. They still have to have that talk, you know, when they're kids so that when they go driving, that they do the right things, you know, the arrogance uh, and not listening to them, truly listening to them and, and them telling us what they hope for is just still mind blowing to me. But at the same time, like Rashawn McLeod said, we have to sort of, sorry to bring up a Duke player, but you know, we have, we have to let things sort of happen organically at the same time. Well, you know, organically in some ways hasn't worked for a long time. Yeah. So you have to shock the system sometimes to create change. Yeah. You know, and Martin Luther King did that in a peaceful way. Um, and, and, you know, there's been a lot of protests. I just wish they were peaceful protests. Yeah. And I wish that there wouldn't be a cancel culture. Because when people do speak up that are pro-America or conservative or, you know, godly people, conservatives, then people just want to cancel them. And they're quick to call them racist. That's not fair either. To me, this is a melting pot. And we need to respect each other and respect the differences. You know, I don't have to like someone, but I hope that I can respect them. And if they come at me in a respectful manner, I'll listen. And then they have the, they have the opportunity to change my mind, you know, like Colin Kaepernick did about kneeling. So um, it's all how it's done. If somebody doesn't, it's so easy now because of social media that if somebody doesn't agree with somebody, they cancel them, call them a name and try to bully them into submission. And that's the part I mean, I guess. Yeah. What's that? That's the part I meant, I think, about trying to ram it down someone's throat. You know, you can be very opinionated, but have have something to back it up as to why you're so passionate about it. Yeah. But, and, and, and do it in a way where you're not name calling yeah you know it's childish it's childish really that last segment is in part why dr j coach k and myself hootie hoot love sharing spaces with our guests because uh that was really uh moving and uh, an incredible experience to hear those powerful words and see the evolution of coach doherty and how we can respect each other's differences and still find some common ground in the process. Dr. J will now ask Coach Doherty 
about a certain individual that he once recruited while he was an assistant coach at Davidson right here in the sports deli. So, well, so coach, I want to talk about, go back to your Davidson days. The first thing is we're talking about a lot of things. Is there a story about how Charlie Scott ended up at UNC and not Davidson? I have some friends down in North Carolina who have a story for me. I'm curious if you've during well, you probably process. heard the right story. I mean, it's legendary that Lefty Drizel had Charlie Scott locked up. Right. And then, you know, somehow Coach Smith got a hold of him and made him the first African-American athlete at the University of North Carolina. Wow. And Charlie went on to a great career in college yeah. and the NBA and the ABA. So, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you, there's that soda shop right off campus at Davidson. And the story I've heard is he and his mom went in there after Lefty was done recruiting him and they didn't get served. Oh, okay. And I have a friend yeah, in Charlotte who, who's, who's t- who took me to that soda shop and he, cause he knew I was a huge college fan. He goes, you know what this place is famous for? This is where, this is where Davidson lost Charlie Scott. Wow. And Charlie Scott's wow. mom got in the car and drove. Cause remember North Carolina was not North Carolina under Dean Smith, coach Smith. Then they were on their way up, but he was the, he was a prize recruit and she got in the car and drove to coach Smith. And that was the end of that. Um, well, I, I don't, I didn't hear that story, but, uh, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So we have a quick story. Uh, you, <laughs> Hoot and I went to Goucher and if you can re- go back in the time machine to, I think 1990, <laughs> you were recruiting a skinny white kid for Davidson in Catonsville, Maryland named David, yeah. Dave Clark. I mean, and you know, he was the guy that looked, I mean, Dave listens to the show, so he knows I love him, but he was kind of the guy that looked like he was the guy providing to the team, if you know what I mean, like, the, you know, like, and because no, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? Providing he was, to the team? He was, he, we would joke that he, he had the long hair. He was the hippie look. And so, gotcha. uh, you know, and then yeah, he'd come man. in and he, and he break, I was in, so talk about when you're at the D, the low D1, and Davidson wasn't that low, but mid D1. No, David, Davidson's low D1. Okay. They were independent. We were bad. Right. We were four, four and 24 our first year. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I'm we right. were low. We were, okay. we were, we were bottom feeders. <laughs> so talk about the difference now compared to then when having to make that type of decision of like what, meaning the lack of, you know, there's not as much social media. You can't get it. There's not the AAU is at the level it is now and how you had to make a decision you know, and Dave ended up being pretty much an All-American at Division Three, and you know he his the story is we would take him to downtown Philly, and he would break ankles in the city parks. You talk about the parks left and right to the point that people from the neighborhood in Philly would come out because this white kid is just breaking ankles left and right and dropping threes. Um, so it was you know he was hysterical. Uh, but talk about the process you had to go through back then when some guys on the fence. You know, the difference between D1 and D3, how, how it's not that big a difference. Well, it, it, it's, I mean, there's always players you see at a non-D1 level. Or let's just say, you know, high major, mid-major, low major. You know, Steph Curry. Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, how'd that happen? You know, um, there's always a player. You know, Jerome Kersey went to Longwood University, which it was Longwood College back then. It was yep. non, they were division three. John Stockton was at Gonzaga before yep. Gonzaga was Gonzaga. So, you know, there's, there's always, even today, going to be sleepers. And that's where the assistant coaches make their <laughs> reputation is uncovering 
the the, the sleeper. Sound it's right. a lot easier. Dave, Dave, Dave Hanner said this to me when he was at East Tennessee State, or he was at North Carolina, but he was at East Tennessee State, and Dave was an assistant at North Carolina and a player there. He made a great point. He said, you know, it's a lot easier to steal a player from a lower level than it is from a higher level, mm-hmm. right? So if you're at a mid-major school, it'd be easier to school, steal a player from a low D1 who you think is really good than try to steal a player from, you know, that's being recruited by an ACC school. So most players want to go to a higher level, but it takes guts if nobody – because what's the first question a coach asks uh, an AAU coach or high school coach? Who else was recruiting them? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, you know, these small schools. And like, oh, geez, maybe he's not that good. I must be wrong. So you have to have confidence in your evaluation. You know, there's a difference between recruiting and evaluating. Yep. You got to evaluate before you recruit. Unfortunately, a lot of guys just recruit. And they recruit off a list. So they recruit off a reputation. They don't trust their own eyes because maybe their eyes aren't very good. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think you look at uh, John Morant. Well, you, yeah, John Morant, but you look at uh, Patrick Williams, who went to Florida State. Mm-hmm. Carl, Carlton Young is the assistant coach at Florida State. He saw Patrick. Williams love Patrick Williams. Well, Patrick Williams wasn't being recruited by Carolina Duke. You know, in the backyard, he's in Charlotte, and he right. went up and stole him. You know, right. that's a good evaluator and a good <coughs> recruiter. He he's got he's got both. Right. So I got one question before we uh, talk uh, about your book a little bit more. If you want to delve into that, if we haven't covered some of the things that you want to talk about before the rapid fire, the, the famous favorite part of the podcast that John loves. Um, I do not. <laughs> but uh, what did you learn in the booth besides your coaching experiences that helped you be a better man and, and, a, and a better coach uh, that if you got another job, you know, that would help you? When you say the booth, you mean doing TV? Yeah, doing television as a color analyst. Yeah, well, yeah. I think I think the neat thing is you get to see other styles. You get I love watching practice. Mm-hmm. So you get to see practices and you get to study other coaches' styles of play and realize that, you know, it's not just one. Different styles, different techniques, different ways to practice, um, different ways to communicate. I think that, uh, you know, you're always trying to, at least I am always trying to learn. So I, I love watching practice. Yeah. So any, anything else about your book that you want to talk about? Yeah, I just, I just yeah. think it's a, you know, most people write about successes. I wrote about failure. Um, I, I, I lost my job at North Carolina. I went on a leadership journey. I wanted to get better, not bitter. And I think that um, leadership is the most important topic in any, in the world in every piece of part of life, home, community, work, most important topic that's not formally taught. Ridiculous. It needs to be taught. And then it needs to be practiced. It's, it's not just a something you can learn by reading a book. It's a mm-hmm. skill like playing golf, playing tennis, you know, you look at these golfers, we're getting ready for the Masters. 
They practice like every day. They've got a swing coach. Why would Bryson DeChambeau need a swing coach? He's the best, one of the best players in the world. Yeah. So you get these CEOs, these head coaches, and they don't have a leadership coach. Interesting. So, and that's when they make mistakes, like I did at North Carolina. Interesting. Coach, I had a follow-up question for you in regards to your time at FAU. Were you there when Howard Schnellenberger was there? Yes, I was. And, and, you know, he just passed away, an iconic football coach. Can you talk about, you know, he was building up that program, you know, from nothing. I have a friend who worked in, in the, at the university at the time, and literally on his wall, he has the original first game football tickets in the history of FAU. And, um, and I actually met years later the president that, that was there at the time at FAU when he went to FIT. Can you talk about what you learned from Coach Snellenberger, who just passed away, and what people... Well, out there may not appreciate when they think of Miami, the first thing many people think about is Jimmy Johnson. But if you really know, you know, Schnellenberger yeah. is the one that built it up. Well, first of all, I think he played for um, um, Bear Bryant. Yeah, yeah I can talk to you. Uh, and and, and, and um, he's a big personality. You know, his voice, he talks like this. <laughs> he's always wearing his championship rings. When I first met him, he says, Wear your championship rings. You got to wear your championship rings. The recruits got to see that you're a champion. I'm like, okay. So I wore my championship rings. Um, he, I think he loved to build. Mm -hmm. He loved to make a difference. And I can relate to that. I've, I've had four head coaching jobs. They've all been rebuilding jobs. Now people won't look at North Carolina as a rebuilding job, but at the time it was. You know, I knew we were going to be good my first year, bad my second, rebuilding my third. And that's the way it played out. And then I left. And two years later, that starting five won a national championship. There's an energy that that takes. Mm -hmm. in incorporating your culture and, and, and making change, setting your vision, and then getting people to follow along on that path is exciting. And, and Schellenberger did that at, Kentucky, Louisville, FAU, Miami. Uh, well, I, I know I speak for John and we applaud you for your evolution because uh, a lot of people just say, this is who I am, take it or leave it. And um, you've continued to evolve, which is, uh, you know, probably feels good. Uh, every day, man, yeah. every day, lifelong learner. Yeah. Got to learn something every day. All right. Buckle your seatbelts. Bill Walton or Lav as an analyst? Oh, oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, 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 both good guys, but golly. I can only take so much Grateful Dead. And, 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 and Lav likes to talk about share the sugar. You know, I'm trying to cut out on sweets. Um, but I tell you what, Bill, Wal Bill Walton, he's really fascinating how smart he is and, and his, his wealth of knowledge. So no offense, Lav, but I'll go with uh, Big Red. John, that definitely sets a record for the, the this or that segment for an answer in terms yeah. of time. That was outstanding. That was great. <laughs> Uh, which chapter of your book was the hardest to write? Oof. I don't have them numbered. Uh, 
topic. But I think the part about uh, managing change with Coach Smith, mm-hmm. you know, when I took over the program and, you know, there were some things that, you know, I, I, I didn't put in the book. But a couple of things I put in there that, you know, some people might not like. Um, but, you know, Coach, you know, Coach Smith, you know, having lunch with Coach Smith and Coach Guthridge and Coach Smith said to me that I was the fifth choice. You know, a, m- a month after I took the job, I'm like, why, why do you have to say that? You know, why say that? And that, that was hurtful. And, and, and I debated putting that in the book. But, you know, I, I just think that it's truthful. And, you know, um, you know, I forgave him for that. Um, I love Coach Smith, but we're all flawed. We all make mistakes. We're human. And, and so, um, you know, it was my opportunity to kind of tell people what I was going through as the head coach of North Carolina. And um, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. So you've evolved and, and uh, just to follow up to that, you, you know, you're in a different place emotionally now. So do you still have the same thought process about that? Or do you look at it like he was just being honest and he wanted you to prove to everyone that even if you were the fifth choice that, you know, you were going to be the right choice? No, no, it was not that it was, it was more of a control thing. Ah. And I think he was upset that I, you know, he, he said, you get your program when I was being interviewed, it's your program, run it how you see fit. Hmm. I was told I could bring my staff with me, but deep down, I, I, I think that he just didn't approve of some of the things that I did, like bringing my staff with me. And um, hmm. you know, I probably should have asked him that question, but he did say, it's your program, run it how you see fit. Hmm. But, tough call. you know, yeah, the, yeah it, was, it was hard. But, you know, I, I should have managed Coach Smith differently but it was weird for me as a former player to manage him, to manage up. I talk about that a lot about managing up, you know, not many CEOs take over a job and the former CEOs still in the building. Right. And that's a blessing and a curse. So I should have managed him better. And that was my lack of experience because I didn't take any leadership courses before I was the head coach. (laughs) And that's why people should read my book. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Has uh, Coach Davis reached out to you? No, 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 no he's not. Yeah. No. Uh, Larry Brown or Chuck Daly? For what? Just better coach or who you would choose? Uh, uh, well, you know, his family, right? You talk about family before? <laughs> what, are you kidding me? <laughs> All right. And, and, and Coach Brown's alive, so he would hear this interview. <laughs> I mean, he, Coach he might, Brown, come on. He, he might come on, too. Or try, I'm trying – Ben Braun's a good oh, friend. Oh, you're trying to set me up. That's bad, man. <laughs> no, Coach Brown is a genius. Uh, all right. He's a, he's a savant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we hope we can get him on. Uh, Steve Nash or Kyrie? To what? Steve Who, Nash. Nash, yeah. He's a winner. You know, he's a he's – a, he, he's – He's never been a distraction. Yeah. He's played hurt. Yeah. I heard a story he where he, believe, could... he believes the earth is round. <laughs> God dang it. 
he shows a, up he shows up when he he's supposed up. to yeah he doesn't take time off i heard a story where he could get on a treadmill at the highest speed uh and um go full tilt for 60 minutes like he his his uh uh conditioning was incredible can you should yeah, go we ahead. Talk about New York. He has a place in New York. He did when he was a player. I think he still does now. I have friends who in the city have seen him play pickup with no attention. Like they just walk by a park and they're like, I think I just saw Steve Nash at the park. <laughs> at the, you know, at the, well, he could blend the cages in, you know, he, on 4th Street. He could blend in a little bit. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, are you sure? And he, so my friend literally went back. He goes, oh, that was Steve Nash because now there's 100 people watching the game. <laughs> 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 but he no attention just just went out there and he just wanted to get a workout in and then he went home coach can you share real quickly the story what your mom said after you were named Notre Dame's head coach yeah my mom Irish Catholic um thought I was going to be a priest in fourth grade I, I went to her I said you know I'm going to be an altar boy and she's thinking oh my son's going to be a priest and in the next breath I said yeah you get tips for weddings and funerals <laughs> and uh and that burst their bubble and fast forward it's uh the day of my press conference after the press conference it's a beautiful day uh atypical in south bend in april and uh we're walking towards the dome and in the basilica and my my mom grabs my arm pulls me close and whispers in my ear she said you know matthew if you couldn't be a catholic priest being the head coach at Notre Dame is a close second. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's classic. Bill Russell yeah. or Kareem? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd probably go with Kareem just because of his ability to score. Yeah. You were MJ in golf. MJ. Although I did clip him for 60 bucks <laughs> several years ago. Yeah. I, I got him. I asked him afterwards, can you sign these for me? And he, <laughs> he, he got pissed. <laughs> Bill if, if I get the bet right, if the, if I get the strokes right, <laughs> that's I, right. I, I, can, that's I can maybe, I can maybe win. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Belichick or Phil Jackson? Phil Jackson. Johnny Carson. Phil Jackson. Well, let me, let me just ahead, add yeah. to that. The last dance. Mm hmm. You know, people look at it in different ways. To me, I was fascinated with Bill Jackson. His leadership ability was unbelievable. How he could <coughs> manage Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Jerry Krause. Yeah. Scotty. And just, yeah. just the way he could get through to the players his emotional intelligence was off the charts. Um, basketball is harder to coach than football because football has defined roles. Basketball, the coach has to define the roles. In football, the position defines the roles. It's easier. And you get a timeout between every play. In basketball, you don't get to do that. It's organized chaos. Yeah, that's true. Johnny Carson or Dave Letterman? Oh, wow. They're both pretty good. Oh, man. That's <laughs> a good one. I, I like them both. I'll tell you, but I'm, I guess I'll, I'll just go old school. Johnny Carson. Ed McMahon was a great straight man. Yeah. Yeah. Sidekick. You need good assistant coaches. Rick Majerus or Bob Huggins? Huggins. Yeah, uh, no question. Huggins. 
If you're meeting yeah, with, a, uh, he, go ahead. No, he's just uh, a, he, 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 you know, is what he's done is amazing. He's a smart man. Um, and as tough as he is on his players, I think he's good to his players. Yeah, I remember some of them shouting matches. He got into it with his players at Cincinnati, and they just respected the heck out of him. They still do. Yeah. Meeting with uh, President Biden and or uh, Kamala Harris, what's one thing you'd talk to them about? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Truly trying to unify the country. You know, they say it, but you know, I, I, I don't like when, you know, they blame, like, I think it's bad. Like when I was the head coach in North Carolina, I didn't place blame on players. I didn't place blame on the previous staff, you know, be accountable, stand up, you know, they're not take accountability be truthful be transparent nobody wants to take accountability for the border right. you know they're quick to blame trump kamala harris is supposed to be in charge of the border now she doesn't want to be in charge of the border because she knows it's a mess so she wants to be in charge of central america you know I think we just want to hear the truth. Do we have to hear everything? No. So I don't think everything's should be public. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily think we should have cameramen or women or newscasters videotaping war. I don't think that's good. War's war, man. We can't understand that. So I just think accountability and, 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 and a level of transparency and, you know, if you mess up, say it and own it and move on. We're, we're... So that's probably what I'd say. Interesting. Powerful stuff. Uh, on a lighter note, John, get ready. Waffles, pancakes, or French toast? Pancakes. <laughs> Oh, banana pancakes wow yeah interesting you're the second person that that said banana pancakes uh <clears throat> so we lost john thompson big john and, and john shaney in the last year what what impact did they have on the game in your eyes well first of all they impacted men especially african-american young men uh they were leaders true leaders, not only on the basketball court, but in the communities, in the black communities, in the white communities. They were educators. Um, I, I coached against John Cheney's teams. I watched his teams practice. I got up at five o'clock in the morning to go watch his 6 a.m. practice. Um, wow. Uh, you know, I coached against, I played against John Thompson, obviously. Um, you know, and their players respect them and love them. What else can be said? Totally. Popcorn or candy at the movies? Oh, 
Twizzlers. <laughs> Sorry. And they're, 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 the bag's gone by the time the lion starts to roar. <laughs> the 82 men's basketball NCAA champs or the 2021 Baylor Bears? Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Next question. Exactly. <laughs> Roger Maris or Mickey Mantle? Now, I, 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 you know, I'm only 59 now. Come on. Um, you know, Mickey was more popular, but Roger, I'd have to look at the stats. He might've been more productive. Right. So coach, I have, are you a Yankees fan or Mets fan? Well, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, I grew up a Met fan, jumped on the Yankee bandwagon in 77. Right. Um, uh, kind of had a foot in each wagon in 86. You know, I like both, but the Mets so, were bad for so long yeah. and, and the Yankees were good for so long. It's hard not to like the Yankees. So, so here's a baseball question. If you take Sandy Koufax out and Willie Mays out, do you think Reggie Jackson is the greatest living baseball player now? Former player. Well, Cause we just lost Hank Aaron. We've lost a lot of these greats. You know, Joe Morgan passed away, you know, so there's there's a few of these guys. Johnny Bench probably still around. You know, I, I, that's a hard question because I'm I love Reggie Jackson. One of the reasons I wore 44 in college was because of Reggie Jackson. OK, wow. there we go. He made striking out an, an art form. Right. Like that, that like that was. I got to shake his hand one time. Um you know, he was so dynamic, explosive with the bat. Um, but in terms of greatness, you know, I mean, you know, then you have to incorporate the field and you have to incorporate other things. And I'm not really qualified to say, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that are alive that, you know, you, you put in that class. I just, right. okay. you know, um, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, we've lost a lot of good ones. Tom Seaver was one of my favorites. Yeah, it was Tom oh, Seaver, yeah. Joe Morgan, I used to Hank get, Aaron. Yeah, I used to get mud on my right knee pitching yeah. because of Tom Seaver. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All right, a few more, Coach. Dishes, vacuuming, or laundry? Um, I'm good in all three. Uh, I'm, a, wow. I, I'm a triple threat in that area. Uh, fortunately, my wife's not listening. <laughs> Uh, but I really do a good job with the dishes, loading and unloading. Wow. I like to stack them in an orderly fashion. I'm an efficient stacker. And I'm an efficient stacker of the dishwasher. We don't have much carpet in our house, but I used to that used to be my one of my jobs as a kid. And I, I would do it like they do in the outfield. Like I would I would I mean I had lines in the in the carpet. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> And then the other one was uh, laundry. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm good. I don't mind doing laundry. I, I can fold a mean towel. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm good with the socks. I'm, I match them up. You know, I'm, I'm particular. Like, I, you don't want to cross match an Adidas sock with a Nike sock. Oh, like that's no that no, never that's, happens. Exactly. And that's not going to happen on my watch. <laughs> exactly. Good, good. Lucy or Dick Van Dyke. You're talking about the shows yeah. or the actors, actors. Yeah. Um, Lucy Ball, that was, 
that's classic. I mean, that, that, you know, that, that's that I go with Lucy ball, Lucy or the honeymooners honeymooners. Oh, wow. Interesting. Well, Jokic, AD Doncic Embiid or Carl Anthony towns. Um, Donkic yeah. and then the Joker. Yeah, definitely. The other guys are too inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Either hurt, yeah. moody. Uh, Doncic is unbelievable, and he's got the ball in his hands. Joker is unbelievable. He's got the ball in his hands. You know, those two guys are they're they're, they're unbelievable. All right, I got two more questions before I ask you the last one, which is the most important one. So if you're you're up three, you're on D. Six seconds left. You foul or let them shoot the three? Depends. Are you inbounding the ball from out of bounds? Is it on a missed shot? What are you talking about? Let's say uh, after a made basket. On the run? Yeah. And they, 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 I might call timeout. I might call timeout. I think that's a thing that coaches have to be conditioned to do under 10 seconds, 10 seconds to three seconds. You score to go up two or three or even one. Would you call the timeout if the other coach didn't have a timeout left in the bag? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Yeah, because you want to set your defense. I would like to be in the situation where they – I think you always have to say, what would you – what would the other coach not want you to do? But haven't you practiced that scenario in, in shoot-around that morning about, you know, these, this, this scenario? Obviously, you've practiced these scenarios. As well, let me coach. ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. UCLA, I don't know if they had a timeout or not, but they score that layup. Do you think they wish they called a timeout? No? When, 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 uh, well, I mean, Scuggs hits a shot. 50. Yeah, you're right. I mean, but it's three seconds left, coach. I mean, that's not like six seconds. Yeah, but probably it still gets you to half court against an unset defense. That's the thing. The defense is unset. You want your defense set. So I would probably call timeout on a made, a made basket. Because I don't want them running up the court with whatever you said, six seconds. Your defense isn't set. I'll be honest with you. That did not even enter my head. And that's, that's a great point that you can make. It really is because three seconds, I can sort of understand it just to remind them, you know, or six seconds, but three seconds, it's sort of different because you're figuring, oh, they're barely going to get a half court shot off, but really. That's a really coach. That's a really hard thing to install in a, 19 and 20 year old the excitement of making that basket and the thought to know the call the time out yeah with x amount of that's time. why that's why you got to practice it and that's why yeah. you're yelling and screaming you know you're 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 leaning towards the officials and right. you know the clock gets stopped um mm-hmm. yeah i mean there are times wow. i wish i called time out um right. you know in that situation you really got to practice that right yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last question before I ask you about John and I, and uh, what's your biggest weakness even now after all of your evolution as a, as a leader? Chocolate. <laughs> all right. So you get a head coaching job. 
and uh, you got a dobo or an assistant coaching position, hypothetical, of course. Uh, do you hire John or me? Oh, man. Uh, are there any other options? <laughs> exactly. Gordon, but he's not here. <laughs> yeah. Go with yeah. the guy that's not here based on what you've seen here today, coach, to keep to, and you'll be employed longer. Um, John, what's your favorite food? Uh, like if you were last meal, what, what would you want? Steak and lobster. Michael, what would you want? Seafood, definitely. Oh, gosh. You're both out. <laughs> Gordon's a, would be Gordon Mexican. would be a veg, vegetarian, so Gordon's more healthy. Yeah, yeah I, I tell you, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know, like the hat on crooked on the bench, that wouldn't go well. Right. So I'd probably have to go with John. There we go. I love it. Coach, uh, really uh, honored that you joined us. It's um, truly a pleasure to talk to you and, and pick your brain and, and uh, have you be so transparent about so many things and uh, a lot of things you could be doing with your time. And uh, I, I hope you get another shot. It'd be fun to watch you, um, you know, at this point in your life, you know, a, a, with a different mindset, not only as a coach, but just as a, as a man, as a, as a husband, you know, a father. Um, and, uh, I hope you put it out into the universe that, that, that that's what you want and you, and you get another shot. Well, I'm, I'm coaching. It's just, I'm coaching executives. Um, yeah, right. And that's fulfilling work too. And I don't have to worry about parents calling me after a loss. <laughs> that's right. I don't have to worry about Twitter university giving me a hard time after a loss. True. Um, you know, and the, the underbelly of college athletics is not pretty. Yeah. And I, I purposely go out of my way and I call some guys that I know in the business and say, Hey, I'm, I'm getting that itch every March. I get the itch. Right. Sure. And uh, so I call a couple of people and they just tell me how miserable they are and how miserable the business is. I'm like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, totally. there's a couple yeah. places I would consider as a head coach or an assistant. Yeah. Um, but um yeah, it's hard. It's a beautiful game. Crappy business. Yeah, good point. So I appreciate you guys. And uh, Thank you, thanks for promoting the book, Rebound from Pain to Passion. People can get it on Amazon or go yeah. to rebound-book.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, All right, Coach. coach. Much Take love care. and respect. Take care of yourself. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Well, that was okay. great. Yep. See ya. Are you coming tomorrow or no? Who's tomorrow? Probably Ray not. Young. No, nice. I can't. All right, stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man john's always good for 10 laughs uh we can't thank matt doherty enough for joining us in the sports deli um former north carolina head coach and notre dame head coach and florida atlantic and southern methodist head coach assistant at davidson and kansas uh, just an honor to share space with him and uh, we hope you enjoyed it and uh, remember, your voice matters when fighting systemic racism. Read a book, acknowledge your white privilege, watch a movie about institutional racism, call your local or state representatives, and or have a conversation with someone that doesn't look like you. We have to change the economic, educational, police, housing, prison, and voting suppression narratives that currently need to be changed in this country 
And the only way to do that is to listen and learn and then help be a part of the mobilization and change that we want to see. Remember, you can always send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. Until next time, please mask up still. Remember, Black Lives Matter. Peace.